Hi, welcome to the Mind Over Matter podcast. Today on the show, we've got my sister. She is one of the smartest people I know about mental health. Um, she just got out of nursing school, and I think she's going to go into psych nursing. So, definitely a really smart person in regards to anything mental health, be it um, prescriptions, non prescription methods, really anything. I wanted to get her on the show because every time I talked to her, I learned something. And, um, it was kind of the goal is to have her come on, teach maybe Trevor something, and then hopefully we can all learn something too. So, well, with that being said, thanks for watching, and let's get into it. And we're live. All right, welcome everyone to episode seven of the Mind Over Matter podcast. Today, it's, we're uh, blessed. What? It is episode eight. You are. Welcome to episode eight of the Mind <laughs> Over Matter podcast. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, this episode, I got a very special guest, and I don't know if anyone could tell because she doesn't look anything like me, but we have my sister, Shannon. Shannon, you want to say hi to people? I'm Shannon. Um, be cool. That's it, yeah. <laughs> All right, fair enough. And then, uh, of course, we have Trevor, smoking, joking. Hey, you already know what it is. No, man, uh, man life's, life's been going pretty well, man. Uh, we we haven't recorded in a little bit. Uh, I'm very excited. I don't know Shannon too well at all. Uh, she has helped me through Kevin a lot. I will say that. So I'm excited to to dive a little deeper. Yeah. So that's that's a good thing to bring up. So um, Shannon has kind of been like the main mental her uh, health person, I guess, as far as like education and kind of implementing a lot of shit that I know. I'm not all born with knowing a lot that I do, and a lot of that comes from Shannon. So, Shannon, if you want to just kind of, like, tell everyone a little bit about yourself and what you got going on. Yeah, so um, I was kind of the first one to talk about mental health in our family. Um, I was in an abusive relationship from 14 to 15, um, developed PTSD from that. It triggered bipolar disorder, um, struggled with self-harm, um, then... As I went off in high school, I had various different episodes and that led to me being diagnosed with um, OCD as well, both cleaning um, from OCD and a couple other things, uh, just a little uncomfy. And then uh, I got to college and um, realized that I couldn't read and then got diagnosed with ADHD and now I'm on meds and I have a million books because I'm so excited to read. But yeah, I've been on numerous different medications, like way too many, but um, now I've found like the right ones. So I'm just here to like show you that like things can get like really shitty. Like you don't, even though the, the um, disorder may last your life, like you don't have to live like that your whole life, which I think is really important. So like, when did you first kind of notice like okay, I may have a problem. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, uh, episodes, like when you're bipolar, get a little blurry. I have big memory gaps from that, which is how I lost my wallet last week. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, I guess I, I guess I noticed the first time I self-harmed. Um, yeah, I just had a panic attack, and I, like, it got ugly. I don't want to like talk about it, it to the specifics because I don't want it to be triggering. Um, but the very next day, I like woke up with like band aids on me, and I like went to mom, and I was like, I need to go to therapy. So, 
what so are you saying you don't remember doing the self-harm yeah like you woke up no i remember like probably like one minute of that night but i remember like when i started it like i don't remember the thought that said you need to do this but i do remember doing it and then like looking down and being like what did i do like the next morning what did you do wow what the fuck? Okay. No, well, yeah. Well, so I've I've tried to a, a self-harm a couple times. Not in crazy, not, not to, to any extremes, but it's still, I mean, it still counts. Um, and I, like, I just, when you said that, I was like, okay, <laughs> let me tune in. Maybe I can relate. But that, yeah, wow, that's something I've, I have never heard of someone experiencing that. But I, I also, I, I mean, I stopped harming a few years ago, kind of. Anyways. <laughs> is, that, <laughs> is that like a common thing then, like for people to not realize kind of what they've done until after? But I also did it on purpose for many years after that. Like I, I strongly remember doing that on purpose. Okay. Um, as either like... You know, for a lot of times, like, I used to have a really bad eating disorder. Um, I would, like, eat, and then I'd be, like, mad at myself, and then I'd self-harm, and it was just kind of like a cycle like that. And that's... This may be a... Go ahead, Trevor. Is that... You said that's all diagnosed under bipolar disorder? That's... Those are signs of bipolar disorder? Yeah. Yeah, and I can, like, get into, like, the mania part of bipolar disorder, too. If you're curious about that. Yeah, go for it. Yeah. So, um, the first time, I didn't realize this till after, but the first time I had a manic episode, I was in a nail salon. And I <laughs> I remember getting my nails done with the Louis Vuitton um, font. And I walked out of there and I was like, everybody's under my control. Everybody loves me. I can do anything I want to. I spent, like, a lot of money. And um, I didn't sleep at all. I stayed up all night playing the piano with earbuds on um, for many nights. And this was in, this is when I was like, I think it was, it was a few months after you left. Because um, you left in, I think, and this was in like, September. Um, what, then, you, how, what age? I'm sorry, you cut out. Oh, you're all good. Um, 14. Okay. Sorry. 15. Yeah, 14. Whatever. Okay. One of them. <clears throat> but yeah, then I, I continued to have um, ones that were a little more serious. I had a about nine month long um, manic episode where I was convinced that I was literally going to be Dexter. Um, I convinced myself that like nobody around me, like, I thought everybody around me was out to get me and out to like hurt me. And I had hallucinations all the time of, you know, I mean, I don't know if you guys get this too, probably cause you actually have a reason to get this, but like thinking I'm hearing gunshots and um, someone like breaking into my house and um, stuff like that. So I just like didn't sleep for weeks and I didn't trust anybody and I kept seeing shit. And then one day I just woke up and it was done. That was it. Holy shit. <laughs> I'm like, wait, it's like you just woke up and like, oh, like glad that's done. What was uh? I was like, oh my god, I'm back. 
Yeah, yeah. What was what was like your like immediate thought? Like what what were you thinking? What's the next step? You know, like does it because it sounds like it sounds like so for me. I was in the army uh, four and a half years, and when I was done, it it felt like I forgot a decent amount. I was done with this chapter of my life. So was that kind of how how it was? Like it, you were like, all right, what's next? Now, I felt very relieved, right? Because I was getting all these thoughts of like wanting to kill people, right? I was getting, I was applying um, to forensics things in college because I thought like I would need to like know forensics. So then when I kind of woke up for that, <clears throat> I, I realized like how much of a loving person I am. And I, it kind of like started picking up on like people around me and I just remember telling Sawyer like my partner I just woke up and I was like Sawyer it's done I'm myself again and then like we just called he just like started crying um so like it was really back to like getting getting my life back from like what I lost and and what what would you do you guys or not you guys I'm I'm assuming you have a therapy and you go to uh, someone and talk about all this have you guys kind of pointed out what the cause was like what started all this I know you mentioned a, a bad relationship but the start of that one and I'm sure Kevin has talked about this one was related to a family fallout oh okay okay I haven't really t I think I might have mentioned that okay no I can see why that would cause it though it was, some it was a very reaction. stressful time in my life um didn't feel like I could be in my house. Um, <laughs> this is like so funny because it's like nothing compared to like what I have. But but when like our family was staying at our house and I saw them without dentures, it was nightmare material. <laughs> Whoa! I just like had that recording in my head. Wow! I was talking about my my grandparents, so they were probably 70, 65, 70 back then. Wow! I can't imagine Anybody that help. Dentures sometimes. So like so like after you got better or like kind of came out of it like did that happen after a specific event or was that because it sounds to me like that was almost random. No, um, it was random. But the only thing that was close to it is it was when I went and visited Gabby and Floor. It was a couple weeks after I got home from that. Um, is so there that's like the there's. Anything on like that trip that may have woken you up, or like, because I know when I go up and see Kevin, sometimes there's, I mean, there's always new times when I talk to Kevin. There's new things that pop up and it wakes me up. But there, I mean, I talk about it on a podcast, but specifically, he sent me a, a podcast to listen to. I've listened to, and it woke my whole light up. Like, is that there's nothing, there's nothing like that for you that that kind of. Just woke you up? Well, um, I think what woke me up is when I realized how much I love my sister's-in-law. Like, it, it really, yeah. like, because by that time, like, I had convinced myself that I, because I was like, I can't feel anything. I'm incapable of feeling love. And then I went there, and I felt a lot of love. And then it felt, it kind of challenged my way of thinking. I okay, yeah, so that's, wow, yeah, that's, yeah, I guess that is. So that is uh, one of the biggest things that I said to my cousin when I moved out of the army. Is like, dude, I 
I don't feel like I love anyone. And that's that's very new to me because I, I grew up in a very loving family. My grandmother, she taught me to love very well. And at one point, yeah, that was that's exactly what I said to him. And I I don't know what triggered me out of it. Maybe I still got to think about it. But yeah, that's <clears throat> so I know I kind of understand the feeling. It was like a, like I'm walking around and it feels so, like I felt so selfish the whole time. Almost, because I knew deep down. Uh, I think that's how it is with depression, especially, like, I think you mentioned this, like, last episode. I was, like, listening to it, and, like, when you were choking up, I was also choking up because, like, (laughs) I know how, like, selfish it feels to, like, have, like, to want to commit suicide when your life is so good, you know? The house and a loving family and college, like, everything's great. And for some reason, like, my, like, will still tell me, like, you shouldn't be here and um then i watched this video last week actually you should watch it um it's <laughs> this dude that jumped off the golden state bridge yeah and there was one thing he was like um he's like i was convinced that nobody loved me that i would be bet like everybody would be better off without me i was that sick and then it like made me think i'm like oh my god i'm that sick <laughs> <It's> <laughs> like, interesting things about yeah. So, like, for the people that may be going through that, is there, like, any kind of advice that you'd, you'd think that they'd be wise to hear? Um, yeah, I guess my advice is don't, don't expect something to fix it within weeks. This is something that's going to take a while. And, you know, if your first therapist sucks, like, can, like fire them you can see a new therapist i've had like six or seven different therapists over the years um and you know if, if um meds don't work for you you know other ones might i've tried almost every single ssri and every time my doctor suggested i'm like the last one didn't work but then like i found one that does work for me um so i think like you know if you try one thing and it doesn't work don't be afraid to try something else. Like, even though it takes so much energy to even get to the doctors and get to the meds, cause, like, I know that I've canceled so many appointments. Um, doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're broken or that you can't, you can't be helped or you can't feel better if the first or even fifth things that you've tried don't work. Yeah, so you mentioned <clears throat> uh, you being on all the medicine and that's, that was one of the biggest things I wanted to talk about today because uh, I personally just hop, hopped off of my medicine. I was taking Zoloft for, it was a couple months. Um, I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't feel, I, I think my biggest problem was not being able to be conscious about the effects it was having on my body. So if there's that, is there anything you, you can kind of give about that? Because I, I, I hopped off it, I, I felt like I can, I can do life now. On my own, I want to try it at least, and if not, I can go back. But I, yeah, I, I wheezed off of it. But I think the biggest thing and the biggest reason was because I didn't see any effects. Is that a thing that medicine? You, there's certain medicines that you've had that there's just no effects, or did I just not consciously yeah. see it? Oh, so well. First off, like, um, and I think I've talked to Kevin about this before, is that you're not going to see. Um, effects from an antidepressant and a lot of different meds including like antipsychotics for four to eight weeks 
which is about to where you get. So while you were at the end of the two months there, like that's when like theoretically you would start to feel a little bit better. But I've had meds that like including Zoloft that made me feel completely like a zombie um, and throwing up headaches. I've had meds that have made me gain 80 pounds in a year. Um, you know, like so much doesn't work for me. I've tried almost every single like physical antipsychotic and none of them did anything for me at all. Um, so I just kind of like started jumping between um, drug classes because, you know, I wasn't convinced by the antidepressants. And then eventually I kind of got to mood stabilizers and mood stabilizers work super quick. Um, so then once I was on those, I was able to see that like I could be on something else too, because, um, you know, when you're bipolar, if you take like a depressant um, without being on a mood stabilizer, like it can trigger mania. And that's exactly what it did for me. Um, so I was scared to get back on again, thinking it wouldn't work, but in the end it did work. Can you say that last part again when you take what while on what? I'm sorry. Oh, you're all good. Um, yeah, so I, so, sorry, I take, um, an antidepressant on top of a mood stabilizer and my body didn't respond to the antidepressants right. It sent me into a manic episode, but with the mood okay. stabilizers, um, it does work for me. So sometimes, like, medications won't work for you unless they're with other medications. So you're, okay, so was your solution to get off the antidepressants or to get, to stay on them? I got off of them for okay. a little bit, and then I kind of, like, got the trifecta of them, where okay. I was given a stabilizer, <clears throat> antidepressant, and an antipsychotic. Okay, okay. Sorry, um, yeah, I wanted to get that down. <laughs> in your kind of peer group, Ham, like... How common is it for young women to take anti, like any SSRI, really? Uh, um, are, you know, because one of the problems people struggle with, uh, like weight gain can happen with medication, can happen with really any of them, um, and sometimes weight loss. But I would say, like, I sat down at a table in high school with a few people and all four of us had been to the same like um inpatient psych unit and like we were on like such similar end and then i met friends in college who were um also on the same meds as i am and it's funny because like when i stay at their house and i forget my meds i can just take theirs <laughs> um, but it's because I mentally i like seek out people that like feel kind of that way to me, but I would feel like I've met more people on meds at this point than people off meds. Yeah, that's kind of what I'm asking is like, is it rare to find someone who's med free? Yeah, it's hard. Um, uh, those people like, those people that go med free also like don't usually try therapy if that if that makes sense like if yes. somebody's tried meds and it didn't work i've seen a lot more giving up than like pursuing other options yeah would go ahead kev would you say that there's um like much benefit to seeking alternative methods that don't involve medication oh of course um medication how i see it and how it was explained to me 
is that you are in a deep hole and the um, medication is like a ladder so that you can get out of the hole and start working on yourself. The antidepressants and every other medication, they don't fix anything. They just make it a little easier so that you can fix your like self, right? So I've been to many different kinds of therapy, including like dialectical behavioral therapy, just cool because you learn like the stress tolerance. So you get like lists to do when you're triggered. Um, I still use those skills every single time I like have a panic attack. Um, and also nature is a really good one. And also just like connection, you know, a lot of people like are just really, really lonely. And um, I've seen uh, like friendship really like help with mental health. Yeah, so um, one of one of the biggest things, like, so what do you think, if any, is the cause of so many, so many people in your peer group being on medication, and is there a solution to the problem? Kevin, you're Question. muted. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Oh, I I think that a lot is against us right now. You know, when I was in high school, we were. Um, that's when a lot of like mental illnesses kind of spark. It for the first time is high school. Um, for a lot of people. So that's kind of like why I think I saw that a lot there. Um, and also like, as Kevin will say, it wasn't great high school. <laughs> um, but um, in, in college, um, I would say that it was a lot based on the program because in nursing school, they kind of haze you. They tell you, don't come into this career if you just want to help people. You have to do more than that. And then they'll be like, there's only 70 spots and there's like 100 of you shooting. So you need to fight out your peers. And it's very head butting against each other and there's a lot expected of you because you can't fail a single test in like some classes or else like you'll fail out and if you're like late a couple times like to uh like clinical you can be kicked out as well you can be kicked out for a positive drug test um so i i constantly felt like i was just like on like walking on eggshells and i think that's a lot how my other friends feel is there's so much pressure and stress is like one of the number one triggers to mental illness, like coming out, like if it's genetic, um, that we are all just so stressed from that pressure that we just like, we had to like go that way. And, and honestly, it's a lot easier to get medication than it is to get a therapist sometimes. How like, hard is it? Like you go to the doctor and you say like, hey, I'm sad. not quite like that simple right so you're gonna have to find someplace a with insurance because therapy usually costs 150 to 250 a session without um, insurance um, which is is hard there's very little therapists that accept Medicaid because of paperwork it takes and um, how long it takes to be um, kicked back but when you do start going to therapy you will have to book an intake appointment someplace and they will basically like interview you and see like are you at bottom line and what are we struggling with um, and then from that they'll either tell you to go to the crisis center which will hook you up as a therapist 
or they'll tell you to come back in another three weeks and see um, a therapist there. And so, uh, sometimes they're like not actually covered when they say they are. Like my my um, like my partner's brother um, just went to therapy. They said it was covered, and they sent him a nine hundred dollar bill. Um, so now he has to stop going to therapy because like he can't afford it. Yeah. <laughs> so could you say then? So yeah. Through through that explanation, could you say then a solution might be to to provide therapy to the Medicaid people, or do you think it would not be used? For sure it would be used. I think in many cult, like pretty much in every culture that I've seen so far in America, like mental illness is seen as like you're broken, not as yeah. that your mind has like some different needs. Yeah. So it's really hard, you know, as a young person, like you can't get in there without your parents' consent until you're, like, 15, basically. I mean, my, my best friend, like, threatened to kill herself at age six. So it's, like, um, it's hard. Yeah. I mean, you know it as well as I do, Trevor. The government is horribly inefficient at doing anything at all. Well, yeah, well, then I'm also trying to tie it into, because uh, I know – Kevin, one of your opinions on the matter is that, or even one of my opinions too, is uh, big pharma is in control of it, so it might might be one big scam, or it might just be them trying to get you to keep coming back, keep coming back, keep paying, keep paying. Yeah, well, and is that why it's I mean, not covered on Medicaid then? Because then they don't get their money. Well, it it is covered. It just that it. It's such a long process. To well, yeah, I mean, come on. Who's going to do that? <laughs> you already don't well, even yeah, want to get like, up to go there. That's in my I think that's only because the government is so inefficient at doing things like I got to believe that if if applying for Medicare or Medicaid to go to a therapist was super easy, it, it would. It's not the stigma. That's the issue. It's the fact that the government takes so long. Yeah. To process. Yeah. And I also think the issue or yeah, this issue slash topic is also too new for them to be able to cut caught on this early. Because it's only, like she said, I mean, it's really, Juice World just came, you know, he was a big advocate for the mental health in men. So him, XXX, uh, Tenacian, right? I don't, I don't know his name, know to be honest. Oh, yeah, well, one extension, yeah. And... I mean, it's, so this this issue kind of just came out, really. Juice World really just popped up five years ago, really. So, you know what I'm saying? So I guess that they really wouldn't have caught on by now. Well, yeah. I mean, look at how long it took them to treat people that inhaled ancient or Agent Orange in Vietnam. That took yeah. decades for that to happen. And, like, that's an immediate thing. Like, you breathe that in, your kid's getting fucking three eyes. So mm -hmm. I can't imagine they'd be quick to act on something like that. Yeah. Just as the government is concerned. <laughs> as as somebody who like has been in healthcare settings, I will tell you that the gender ratio is about half and half. Okay. Like side of the hospital, you don't really you don't really see like men seeking mental um, help because you're so like or so is a culture, especially men like talk, that you can do everything yourself and that you don't you don't need anybody else's help. 
Um, and I think that's like really hard to break. And I think like it's really hard sometimes to like face that stigma. Um, well, yeah, we were talking about stoicism a few few shows ago, and it was it's like I I see both sides of it. I can see how it would be a kind of a beneficial thing to just kind of suck it up and drive forward, you know. But then some things too, I think it's like, well, obviously you're not going to be able to to do that to, long term. Yeah, take on the whole world, and you're eventually going to get burnt out. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> but it's like our, our tendency as men is like to not raise our hands. Yeah, it's, it's to, almost the opposite. Yeah, it's it's to not raise your hand, carry the world on your shoulders. And I mean, just thinking of that, I mean, your back's going to break at some point. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Do women like talk about mental health like openly? Um, it kind of depends on what the mental health issue, right? Like if it's depression and anxiety, people talk about it all the time, you know, but if we're talking about like psychosis, personality disorders, um, pretty much anything not anxiety and depression, eating disorders, we talk about a lot too, but it is, it is not talked about anything else, but those like three things, um, which is like kind of scary. So like when I meet people at first, like, even though I'm a chronic oversharer, um, I get very weary to tell them the part of my mental illness that is like very ugly. Um, honestly. Do people uh, ever have like a negative reaction when they hear that? Um, I think more adults do than like people my age. Um, but normally people my age are like, I didn't even know that could happen. Like the response is like, overwhelmed like oh my god basically yeah that's exactly um, what that was, i mean yeah. <laughs> <except today. laughs> that's yeah. Ass, yeah no no seriously yeah i i i mean it's the generation thing is i think a big thing to bring up because um i mean par your parents are your the generation that needs to understand it the most you know uh, a lot of people you're living under your parents roof most of your life uh, so it's pretty important the people providing for you and supporting you and the people who brought you into the world understand you, yet they aren't, mm -hmm. and they're giving this negative emotion. Do you have you been able? You said you were kind of pioneered the way in your family. I can relate to that too. I was the first one to bring up mental health issues. Mm -hmm. um, do you? Is there anything kind of that helped you explain it to your parents or the? adult more adult people that you've shared the experience with for sure um when i was a teenager when i went to dbt which is where you learn like emotional control and how to tolerate when everything sucks basically um and because i was a teenager they had your teens and your parents come in there um so my parents learned the same skills that i did and so then um, now whenever I'm having a hard moment or even they're having a hard moment, we still bring the same exact skills that we use. Um, and I'll like sometimes like like when my mom was really struggling last week, like bring her like a list of things that like we, we did in there so that like when you're thinking about it, you can just like look at something. So I think it, it almost became bonding. And then I kind of realized like how many symptoms that like my family shows that you don't realize because everybody has it. So you, you don't realize you're the one out until. Yeah. So, well, how do you kind of, so how do you get, 
because you first need that parent to want to go to that uh, session with you. So for if yeah. someone my age, let's say, or our age, trying to explain their problems to their parent, that option is kind of off the table now. They're probably in college. The parents at home. Let's say, how do you do, have you found a way to open or kind of or do you know of a way to kind of help the parent understand? Asking for a friend. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Another one thing I do with when I'm telling somebody about needing help is safety. Um, I'll go straight in and talk about, you know, why I need this, like that, like this is serious. And then um, other adults, like I kind of, I share what they need to know, but not everything, if that makes sense. Like I'll share, you know, that I'm going through a really hard time with like, thoughts in my head that are telling me really, really bad things. And it's like really hard not to listen to them, but I won't tell them what the thoughts are. Cause that's like too, that's too much for them. So you kind of like, I don't want to say dumb it down, but when you're telling people, you can't really, it's hard to get in to say, cause they just like, can't understand like what is going on inside your head. I've had like, yes. Yeah, yeah. That's I'm sorry. Yeah. That's what was I was going to bring up next is how do you, when you, when you try and kind of get them to understand and they just, and you say, look, I'm having these bad thoughts in my brain and they brush you off. They're just like, oh, he's making it up. Cause like you said, they don't understand your thoughts in your brain. No one does, but you, no one understands yourself more yeah. than yourself. How, you know what I'm saying? How do you, have you ran into that or have you ran into an adult you tried to share the information with and they're just like, yeah, okay. That negative reaction, how do you respond to that? Because that negative reaction is easy to get upset with when you're already in an upset mindset. Yeah, you know, I think <clears throat> I've, I've run into a little bit more um, adult reactions more with, like, sexuality than mental health. But when, when it's that bad, when they don't understand, that's when I break out, like, the thoughts. And that's when I tell them, like, this is what's going through my head. Like, it's not that you're stupid. It's that I think that I just hit the car behind me and didn't notice, and now I have to make five separate turns to make sure they're not following me and get the police. Yeah. Like, then they'll see, like, they might think, like, oh, you're pretty crazy, but, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That's, like, what helps them see, like, that, like, oh, okay. So if they're willing to understand, like, that things are going really bad in your head and like you, you physically like can't think because there's so much going on in there. Um, I don't understand. That's when I start kind of like talking about like individual stuff or like, for example, um, I was talking to my mom once at, when I was like 16 or 17 and I was like, Hey mom, I just got diagnosed as bipolar. And she was like, no, you're not. You didn't show any symptoms as a kid. <laughs> and that was a little bit toughy. Um, yeah. <laughs> where I basically kind of said, like, you just need to trust my doctor. And then I also was like, okay, but, but the symptoms that I did show the kid, you didn't, you didn't really like recognize because a, like I isolated myself a ton and B, you don't know what you're looking for. Um, yeah. Like mm. betrays bipolar is so different. Like, it's not that you didn't show symptoms, it's just that you did, but mom didn't know what they look like. 
Yeah. And like same with ADHD, right? Is I'll talk about sensory problems and um like for example, like if I'm too hot, like I will literally get so overstimulated, like I will lose my marbles. And so like then I'll be like, "Well, mom, this is like for you when you like are in the grocery store and you smell somebody with perfume on and then you can't like handle it." And then with my dad, like whenever there's flashing lights, he also can't handle it. So like both my parents like have different sensory problems, but like a little bit, but it like it it didn't work in the favor of seeing that I needed help because then they thought, well, I have this too, so like I and I don't need help. Yeah, oh, like you you told like mom and dad about like what you would kind of were going through and like they could have something mm -hmm. similar to that, but they were like, oh, we don't want to believe that because we think we're okay. Yeah. Yeah, and well, that's that right there's that's that generational difference we were talking about. What they were, they were raised to just take it, just eat it, rub some dirt in it, and keep moving forward. No one talk about it, throw it under the bridge, <laughs> and now they want us to keep doing that. But there's, I mean, the media is different now to where it's it's brought up. It's almost impossible now to go anywhere without someone bringing it up. Really, to be honest, I mean, <clears throat> especially if it's happening to you. Something, too, I think we got to keep in mind is, like, it's kind of easy, I guess, to want to rag on older people. But at the end of the day, like, they didn't have the same access that we do. Yeah. So it might not have even have been a thought because, like, it, they didn't, it didn't exist back then. Yeah, it's like a new problem that arised, yeah. Yeah, it, w it would be like if in 50 years we had, like, fancy new cars and, like, our parents or our kids got mad at us for driving cars. It's like... We just didn't know about that new shit because it hadn't ex existed yet. Yeah. We only got out of asylums 50 years ago, too. What so... do you think about those, Ham? I heard there's talks of bringing them back. <laughs> I've not heard those talks. <laughs> um, I think, you know, some people need residential homes because they're, they're so sick that they can't stay safe. I've seen people like that. Um those places like don't have to be asylums necessarily. Um, but it's hard cause you'll feel like it if you're there, right? Cause you, you can't trust your brain, which is something else that's like hard for me. So you can't like, leave. um, so it's tough, like drawing the line in between like, okay, what's residential inpatient and then like, what's too much. And basically like the only way that you can do that is trauma, like informed care. So when you're in like the care, like make, make, you know, restraining the patient or secluding them like the last possible option um, so that you can try to like avoid I mean, that feeling of being completely helpless, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, that's what they do in the, uh, in the prison system. The last option, solitary confinement. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like that's, it's very similar. You want to, you don't want that to, it does, it shouldn't have to come to this basically. Yeah, it's very demeaning. Yeah, exactly. And it's, it's got a huge negative connotation to it, too. Asylum. <laughs> it's, it's a shitty word. Dude. Yeah, it yeah. Sound like, it could be What's like a it, candy bar, bro. <laughs> yeah. What's hard about it, too, is like, so when I've like shown people around like a psych hospital before, um, we're like, oh, this isn't like an asylum, right? And then we get to the padded room, and it's like, 
this is exactly what it's like. Those exist? Then, like, so... Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Whoa. Um, in every what are they? place I... that I've been to, yeah. Wow. Just, can you describe it real quick? Like what, so, what? What do they do when they when they plug in there? So when you are in there in the um beginning, you are in there because you are like threatening people basically, and it's not as much a form of punishment as it is a safe place for you to like let your feelings out. Like you can punch that wall until you're blue in the face, and like you'll be okay. Um, it's like in. Um, you can scream in there if you want to. You can bring your yoga ball and chuck it against the wall. Um, so I think it's like we try to use it more as like some way to cope. But um, of course, when a, a kid goes in there, like they are automatically going to think you're going to hurt them. Um, and you know what? Like sometimes like it is that way. Like there are separate rooms in them sometimes that like have like, you know, like or chairs or something that you can be tied to if uh you need to be restrained so but um basically like what it looks like is it's it's not like those like i feel like in in movies and stuff it's like little like squares of leather but it's just like the entire wall is one piece of leather and like has like three inches of like squishy on it if that makes sense and the floor and the ceiling interesting how uh so one of the big things in therapy is confidentiality. So when someone goes in there and says, I want to harm other people, how, where's, where's the line drawn? You know what I'm saying? Like, how, how do they say, hey, all right, we need to get you in a psych hospital or, hey, go ahead and go home to your family? Talking about people outside the hospital saying that? Yeah, like if I just went to therapy today and I had those thoughts and I said it, or someone listening has those thoughts and went to therapy and said it. Where's the line where they're getting sent to sent to the psych hospital or they're getting sent home? So there's a big difference between active thoughts and passive <clears throat> thoughts. So like I still get thoughts about suicide every single day. Yeah. But I, I have no intent to carry that out or a plan or anything. So it's like okay, like that doesn't it, it doesn't admit you to have thoughts like that or thoughts of hurting people. I've talked to my um, therapist and psychiatrist about that many times, and that didn't commit me at all. It's really about when you're unable to control yourself or, like, have specific plans. So, like, say, like, instead of instead of sitting there being like, I, I just really want to hurt people, like, I'm distressed. Like, say, like, yeah, I have a knife under my bed, and I really want to kill my brother at, like, in the middle of the night. That's when you're going to get... <laughs> Wait a <laughs> minute. <laughs> No, okay. like, oh, I want to fall asleep and not wake up and have thoughts of actually killing yourself. But um, if you're not like having thoughts of like how to do that and you're not like getting stuff together, then you're not going to be sent there. Okay. Like, that, that's funny that you mentioned that. Like, like when I was doing my VA, um, <laughs> when I was getting out, right? Basically, they have you go to a bunch of like different appointments, like meetings with people. And one of those, if you claim PTSD, is like this meeting with a psych. And Trevor was telling me, he's like, make sure to tell them about like how you think about like killing people. And I'm like, I mean, like, because cause I understood it as if you told them that you plan to break the law, then they would tell someone. But like... I had not like ever planned or thought about taking someone's life. It's just like, 
I'd be driving past someone. I'd be like, oh, what happened to my fucking... Yeah, yeah. You know and that I mean? was that was one of the biggest things uh, for the VA, and that's how a lot of veterans are getting scammed on the side of the road, is because they don't go in there and say, look, yes, I have thoughts of suicide, and they count thoughts of suicide as me. Because, dude, there's times I'm driving on the road, I'm like, man, if I yank this right, right here, there's a pole right there, boom, done. I'm gone. You know what I'm saying? Like, and if you, all you got to do is say that. But if you can't, you got to be able to bring that up in order to get compensated for it in that situation. And that's what led me into deep depression because I had to bring all these things up that I didn't realize before. Yeah, it's really scary. I've had, um, I think there's like a concept about this, but everybody has like thoughts kind of like that. Um, and that's like the nature of intrusive thoughts. Right. So like I have intrusive thoughts, like I can't be trusted with kids. I'm going to hurt them. And it's so distressing because I don't want to do that so bad to the point where I'm trying to protect people from myself. Yeah. And there's also been times when like, you know, I'm not kidding you. Like I was passing somebody on the other side of the road and got like really close to another car. We were both going 90. Um, And that was like a really big like switch because you know, I always have those thoughts, like, just go on the other side of the road. But then, like, when you're there, mm-hmm. it's like, I didn't, I didn't, like, I wasn't trying to be hurt. I just wanted to pass the car. <laughs> and I was being <laughs> But when you're in situations where it actually gets close to that, you realize how much you don't want that to happen. Yeah. So it's like, you, you may have thoughts, and but you aren't your thoughts. Like, likely, if your thoughts are, like, causing you stress, then they are not yours like they are intrusive yeah yeah and like you said it's important that that second part to add in those va conversations kevin that you're not planning to to take action on these thoughts or even like like she just said look compare it hey i had this thought of suicide but um when i got in the car and i did go over to overtake someone and i was going 90 and so was the other guy. And I got this close to clipping his car, flipping my car 10 times. My life flashed before my eyes, and I did not want that to happen. At the end of that, I was in shock, mm-hmm. and I had to pull over. So those those things are very important to mention because that, that does also help them understand that, look, this dude doesn't want to die. These are just his thoughts, and this is important to write down. <laughs> a lot of the time people don't want to die when they're feeling suicidal mm-hmm. they just want to not live their life the way that it currently is wow. yeah like i remember when i was coming like i told you when i when i got almost ran over at the gym the other day mm-hmm. basically i was walking out my um, out the gym to get my inhaler out of the car and i had my headphones on and like i hear this honk next to me and it's like this old bitch like screaming how she's gonna run me over if she sees me out again <laughs> And the whole time, I'm thinking, if this bitch got out of her car, I could hit her in the throat, and she'd probably be dead before she hit the ground. But then, like, when I got home, I was like, dude, am I, why would I kill someone for honking at me? Like, that's such a ludicrous thing to think when I'm yep. looking back. But in, in the moment, I was like, bro, let this bitch get out of here. <laughs> yeah. she, she had to be, like, 70. Like, <laughs> doinked her ass. But but then when I got done, I'm like, bro, that's such a dumb thing to think. Like, what the fuck? And it always bothered me that I resorted to, like, like, what the hell? Like, I couldn't have just yelled at her. You know, killing her? Like, 
it's like <laughs> it was kind of a tough thing because like but that's not like the only time that's happened no, yeah that, that happens all the time was, yeah i uh i had a confrontation with uh someone at work that was bothering my girlfriend and i was oh. like man if this dude takes one more step closer i open this door my gun's under my car. I got two options. I pistol whip the fuck out of this dude's dome. He collapses, and I leave. Or I shoot him. Now I got a case. <laughs> so I'm like, but the, the dude didn't get anywhere near this having to happen. But this all, oh, I was like, oh, let's get Boom. He gone. I'm good to go. Like, you know what I'm saying? So it's it's still those weird thoughts that, that uh, like you said, those intrusive thoughts. But Shannon, you, you mentioned you were in the uh, nursing field. Um, can you go in real quick? Uh, what made you want to do that? It's it did your own experience. It sounds like that might have had a uh, influence on it. Your own experiences and going through it all. Um, yeah, just why you're in that field and what you're doing actually, what you're studying for, what's your goal? Sure. Um, I think like it's listening to like you last episode and like how you just like want to help one person or maybe other people like not commit suicide and that's exactly how I feel um I felt so broken when I was a kid and then I went I went to the inpatient hospital when I was 16 and um I was there and I just didn't feel understood by any of the nurses nobody else did it just felt like very isolating so that's kind of like when I decided like um okay, definitely want to go into psych. And then I was like, kind of just comparing like psychiatry, therapy, nursing. Um, and I ultimately decided that nursing was the perfect mix of all three of those. But yeah, so kind of like what I've been doing um, in regards to, to psych is I've, I've obviously like been like caring in a hospital for for months before and that really changed me because you know when I was in high school I was like this is going to come so easy like I've been uh or even in like college in the beginning like I just I understand this stuff I know it but just because you understand the symptoms does not mean that you understand the treatment um even if you've experienced like several types of treatment it ended up weighing on me a lot because you know I was fortunate enough not to have like a lot of abuse when I was a child and so it took me many sleepless nights to kind of see how how bad that is I'll tell you that I saw like many 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 kids maybe like three supportive parents um and so like that just kind of like solidified that I just like I want to be I want to be like a way for like the the people in the psych ward to articulate how they're feeling, if that makes sense. Like I always said, like, I think that there's a language to psych and I know that I speak it. Yeah. So that kind of like, yeah. do it. so, um, you're, you're working at hospitals or, and all of that. Me and Kevin talked about not wanting to work as our own boss. Do you see that ever being an option for you? Do you want that to be the goal? Do you want to be a doctor in one of these fields? You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I'm like, so first off, I have to like take a test before I can like start working, getting paid. Yeah. Um, I did like all of that experience like as a student. Um, 
You should have seen Floor do it. Um, but uh, oh shoot, I forgot the question again. <laughs> seeing seeing yourself being your own boss in this field. Oh, oh, um, I've I've thought about it. I'm such a team person. I'm you know I like to lead, but I like to lead a team um, rather than myself. And I've I bonded with my mental health nursing teacher so much that like we are gonna like go celebrate out together and like get dinner when I get like tired. Um, yeah. And I also my psychiatrist is a nurse practitioner, and she has been my role model since I was fifteen. Yeah. Like, I did the, like I just wanted to be like her the entire time. So I think if I were to go into being a nurse practitioner, then I maybe would be my own boss, especially like if I got to go into like the like MMJ business. Um, but if not, I would I would probably not be my own boss just because okay. I like working in a team, I guess. Okay. I got, yeah. I got a I got a question, Pam. Like you mentioned that a lot of people that you know are on antidepressants. Leads me to kind mm-hmm. of think that we have like a pretty large issue with mental health in America. Um, I think that'd be kind of a hard thing to argue. Mm-hmm. But I was just kind of curious, what what do you think we should do in regards to so many people having mental health issues as a country? Or do you think that there is anything we could do? Um, that's like a toughie because I don't think that there's like one main thing. First, I guess what I, I would like to do is like kind of expand our options for like mental health treatments to to show them that there are other therapies out there. Because really we only demonstrate like the one kind of therapy and being on meds. And being on meds is great um, sometimes, but sometimes you, you just need cognitive help. And sometimes that doesn't come through just talking like one therapist. So I think if we want to like start um fixing this issue then we need to make not just like the one therapy resource or just meds available we need to like think of ways to like have more places and like people to see and more like therapies um and then like i know like you also kind of like alluded to big pharma earlier um you know i think on some level i agree i it's it's hard to argue that six-year-old should be on adderall (laughs) <laughs> um yeah <laughs> at the same time like medication has saved my life so it's like tough i don't think that they made antidepressants with the goal to like keep people on medication forever i do think that there are some other meds okay especially pain meds that is a problem with um but um unfortunately depression's chronic and a lot of other things aren't chronic so if you have a chronic condition, then you, you might have to take medication chronically unless it was one thing in your life that was causing you that. So I got two things off of that. Um, let me try and – yeah. So with the meds being on the table so often, you said the solution is to have <clears throat> more places to talk about it, and that's – I do want to mention – that's me and Kevin's goal too. Like this, this is one of those places to talk about it. This, and and the goal is it to is for it to be cheaper. <laughs> the goal is for it to be online right here. And like you said, uh, just talking about things, just getting the things thrown out on the table, or just 
just being able to put your thoughts on paper with no no one being judgmental towards it really i guess is the way to put it because it's it's so important i mean even that those those couple stories about me and kevin the him wanting to beat up a 7 year old lady <laughs> that's not you know what i'm saying that's not normal normal to bring up in a conversation outside at dinner or you know where else can you bring that up you, you know what i'm saying so that's hopefully hopefully uh you're around you're around here for the long haul cuz we could combine goals on that. The uh, second one, I definitely forgot. <laughs> no, I was going to say, though, I just um, I, I kind of see a lot of parallels between like painkillers and antidepressants, at least from where I'm sitting. Mm -hmm. So like full disclosure, I'm not any on anything like that. But it's like with painkillers, right? Are there some people that could legitimately benefit from painkillers? Absolutely. They could be life changing. It's just that I think that they're overprescribed to people who could solve their pain in a less kind of chemical way, if that makes sense. Yeah. So like, yeah, with depression, like I don't, I don't doubt that there are people who need antidepressants and mood stabilizers and and whatever have you. I just think that it would be a little bit more beneficial for people to explore ways that don't involve chemicals first. Yeah, and. Great. Yeah. One of, one of the things that was, this was the second thing I wanted to ask Shannon or kind of bring up was she mentioned she doesn't think the creation of antidepressants was to abuse them, and you could kind of link that to how show, social media has been used. They they created it thinking it's going to be the best thing ever, and then it got kind of abused, 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 and now it's ruined. Do you see that kind of happening? Do you think it'll be abused, abused to where it's ruined? Because now there are stigmas going all around saying big pharma, like I said, is is big bad pharma. <laughs> don't don't yeah. go and use it. You know what I'm saying? So do you see there being it getting to a point where now people are just closing down the option? Look, we're abusing it too much. Or do you, how do you combat that to where it doesn't happen? Well, I think first, and I did this too. You, you have to try something else before meds because oftentimes it is linked to a stressful like event. Right? So I did over six months of therapy before I tried um, my first med, which wasn't good for me. And it took me an entire year of therapy after that to be willing to try meds again. Um, I think it's really important to address like your thinking ways before you want to talk about medications. Um, that said, you know, I'm going to say it, antidepressants, like, don't give you, like, really any, like, buzz or anything. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't really think it was possible to, like, abuse them. It's more, it's more a hassle of getting people to actually take them than it is people taking too much of them. Because there's really, like, no benefits. And um, that said, other psych drugs, especially anxiety ones, are, um, are, of course, like, addictive. But I would say that I, like, I barely ever see those prescribed unless like someone is like very very agitated so it's not like they're they're trying to prescribe those because like if they know a medication's addictive they're gonna do all that they can to not it. usually pain meds of course like it's hard because right you have i think one of the biggest problems is um you know you have hospice care um we have where you have a patient who's like dying and, and they hand out you know morphine and like you know it's not xanax but it's in the same family as xanax constantly 
Um, and then, you know, their family member dies quicker than they're expecting. <laughs> and now the family's left with all that medication. I've never thought um, about that. Whoa. Yeah. They just keep it? Like, I saw that here you go. Yeah. Uh-huh. Well, supposed to dispose of it. But, like, the facilities don't track it. What the hell? Wow. Whoa. Loophole. Holy yeah. shit. <laughs> Holy shit. Crazy. Yeah, that's a huge mind blow for me. I never even thought about that. So, like, if you were in hospice <sighs> and you were on this, that, and the third, they just give it to me. Like, all right, throw it away. She's dead. Yeah. Or what's the... Yeah, or what's to stop me from from saying, oh, she she was uh, she was only one away from completing these mor- this morphine. Surely, he, yeah, surely the other fifty nine were used. What the hell? Yeah, the only <laughs> the only most that you have as a, a person in hospice, um, unless unless you were in a care facility, which most of the time people aren't is the piece of paper that the family member is writing down when they got the doses. And like, you look at the bottle and make sure they have enough, but there's no way to tell, like, did that go to the patient or not? <laughs> you know? Yeah. What the fuck? Uh, and then there's another <laughs> issue, right? With, and I um, uh, when people get their wisdom teeth removed, um, yep. they are prescribed lot of painkillers like I you know you only need painkillers like a few days like a week maybe mm-hmm. um, a little longer if you're really struggling with pain right but my my friend um went to get her wisdom teeth removed and they gave her 90 days worth of Percocet and like she just like flushed it straight down the toilet after she like after those few days because she was so afraid that that would like make abuse 90 oh, days bro what hey. You remember when I got my wisdom teeth pulled back in high school? They yeah. gave me, dude, I was like fucking 13 or 14, dude. They gave me a, like a fucking mm-hmm. two liter a hydrocodone. And I, I, I mean, I didn't know any better. In high I'm school. Like, makes me feel great. <laughs> and then mom poured it down the sink. And I'm like, what the well, hell? Well, what the hell, mom? Yeah. Can't you I'm see like, I'm having a good time? I don't feel a damn thing. <laughs> turns your bad feelings into good feelings. <laughs> yeah. You don't want no part of this. And I remember being all butthurt when it happened, but I'm like, looking back, I'm like, fucking thank God she did that. Cause yeah, that's all the, the big big kid in the sandbox. Yeah. I remember just begging my, my ther- or not my therapist, my psychiatrist to put me on something stronger for anxiety. And she said, Shannon, the people who use these medications for anxiety are the people who get anxiety on the plane or going to the dentist. You have anxiety every single day, so you will abuse this. There is no way around it. There's no way that you can only use this when you're having a panic attack because it's so frequent that you'll have dependence. Yeah. Shout out to her, though. I mean, yeah, holy <laughs> shit. Smart lady. Awesome. Uh, that's why I like wanted to be like her so much because to her meds are the last option. You know, last time I was really struggling, she's like, "Okay, well, what can the school do for you in regards to like, testing accommodations, and other things?" That the immediate thought is not more meds, more meds. Yeah, well, that's uh, my my therapist. I think that's the biggest reason why I hopped off. It was never like, "Hey, you should take these." It was uh, up north. Mm-hmm. She was like, "Oh yeah, let's try some Zoloft." 
And then it just transferred in the VA system. And they were like, well, you were taking it before. Let's just try this again. <laughs> so I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'll get right on that. So it was never, never uh, said by a therapist to take it. And the, um, the only reason I will say that I did try is because Jordan Peterson, the man I've mentioned many, many times, and I will continue to mention, he said that there are very... Very certain situations where medication or antidepressants is the answer, but it's not everyone. And then I, in my head, I was like, "Yeah, this seems like a pretty special case." <laughs> so I started taking them. Uh, but I think that's that's awesome. It's <laughs> excuse me. It's important that you're you're. Uh, it's awesome that your therapist. You got the good therapist for you, I guess I should say. You found the right one at such a young age. Like I, had, like I said, I went through six or seven different ones. I had a therapist once, and the first thing, she sat down, and she's like, so what do you want to talk about? And I left. Because I'm like, because that's not the structure for me. I'm like, I don't, I want you to, like, lead me into what to talk about. Like, ask yeah. me questions yep. or something like that. Not just gonna be on the table like oh i hate myself you know yeah. like what do you do <laughs> and she's like what do you want me to do for you i'm like i don't know your job <laughs> yeah <laughs> was, anything yeah. at all right then off i go yeah it's <laughs> hard with what? antidepressants right i think the name's a little misleading right like it helps depression anxiety but but you're still gonna have it <laughs> you yeah. know like you just might be able to to get out of bed so that you can work on yourself Okay. And that's like what's hard about medication. That's why a lot of people stop after the first one, and um, unless you are just figuring out that therapy's working better for you and not in conjunction. Yeah. Um, is that like you think like, well, if that med didn't work on me, I'm not meant to be on meds, which is not the case at all. I tried at least three or four different meds that harmed me before I was able to find a med that helped me. If that makes sense. You know? Yeah. So weeks before like i was like sent to the hospital i don't want to like say okay. is bad because my partner's on the awesome um and you know prozac like i'm not back on it now but it sent me into a real bad manic episode yes like, I'm maniacal laughing like breaking glasses with baseball bats in my room like pretty bad stuff um wow and even after that i was still willing to try meds yeah. so you can't you can't unless therapy's working great for you you can't just say like i'm just meant to be on meds after one or two yeah so when i i think this is a very important you keep saying how it's uh it's a crutch i guess is the way to put it it's a crutch it's a crutch but then you said it's also very small increments that you it's not uh one where you mm -hmm. just take it you can snort cocaine and boom it's not you could snort your antidepressant and be good to go so it's hard to realize it affecting you. And that was my issue. When, when is the cutoff point or where, how do you, uh, how do you kind of point out the cutoff point? Like, look, I could get off these now. Or what's an easy way to. Um, so I think the, the cutoff point, you know, if you are, if you've taken the medication and around the two to let's say four month mark, you were like, oh, I'm feeling good. That means the medication's working for you, right? So if you get off that medication, then you're probably going to feel like shit. 
in a couple weeks, right? So um, when your medication <laughs> when your medication first starts working for you and you start feeling better, that is not when you want to stop it. You want to stop it when you've been like using it for a while and you have enough coping skills outside that when that depression comes back that you can cope with it. It's not about using it until you don't feel depressed. It's about using it until you um, have everything that you need to, to work without them. And some people need them forever. Like I will need meds forever. I have a biological problem. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm just gonna run to the pharmacy real quick. Yeah. Don't mind yeah. me. Hey, you guys gotta take a bathroom break? Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no. Um. Yeah, I think it is important to to mention. Um. So for me, I I would say I figured it out quick. So um, mm -hmm. Kevin Kevin helped me out a lot in that it was I needed to find my purpose, while also mm -hmm. while also learning how to cope with the process of doing it. So learning how to get there without mm -hmm. just leaping there and being, oh, look, I did it. Like, it's not just going to happen overnight. So for me, I, I, mm -hmm. I was able to learn it quick. And like you saw me, Kevin, making faces. I was able to learn it quick, I would say. And that's why I hopped off the medication. That's why I'm asking the question because it, it's, cool. it's a fine line. It's scary for me because I've only been on it. Well, it's uh, probably about f four or five months. Yeah, it was the new year. New year, six months. Mm -hmm. So I was like, open mind, let me try it. And it was kind of, yeah, it's the weird. It could just now be kicking in. I could be <laughs> sketchy getting off of these. But then for someone like me who's going to the VA every, I think it's every two months for um, a psych appointment, how do, I, I mean, I'm not going to call in and ask all that. I, I don't have the energy to, and I don't, I literally just don't want to. So I need to mm -hmm. learn this stuff myself. And mm -hmm. it's, yeah, like you said, you've got to have the ways to cope. Do you have any ways yourself that you cope that help you the most or just things you go to? I know you mentioned your mom. You and your mom have mm -hmm. a couple things. Yeah. Um, number one thing I would recommend, if you are really feeling safety, do not be alone. Like, go stay with your friends, go stay, like, even with your parents, like, just try your hardest not to be alone, and then you, if you do have to be alone, you, you kind of, you kind of have to baby-proof your room off, like, as somebody who's had, like, suicidal ideation, like, you know, it's always, it's always comforting to know that, like, you do have the tools for it, but ultimately, like, I think that is how you do it. And then my favorite, my favorite skills overall, they're like tip skills. I forget the acronym, but um, temperature is a big one, right? So if I'm panicking or like, I'm really, really struggling, you take an ice cold shower and it'll like put you straight in your body. Or like, if you're feeling like self-harming, like you just hold an ice cube, like really tight and that will hurt, but <laughs> um, that helps a lot. Another That's enough self-harm. The eye is like, Ow. yeah, the, the eye is, um, uh like intense exercise so right like just go out of your house and just like run as fast as you can until you just like stop that'll also help you get back in your body so i think like the key is when your mind is really really struggling like you have to get back in your body um and yeah. then one thing i also learned that helped is like when like make a little pattern like with hands so like um so like 
this is like something I do a lot where I have my hands like this and then I like make them do this and I try to go as fast as I can and it's like very it's very distracting and it like makes your brain kind of go straight to that. The the alien thing? As kids, yeah, bro, I can do it with my left hand. Yeah. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> oh no. Yes. <laughs> West side. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, uh a lot of those I have I will say I've I've never done any of those. The cold shower I've heard before bed, um, the running. I mean, no one's going to think of, let me just go take a sprint real quick. <laughs> I'm pissed off. Let me go run, uh-huh. run half a block. Uh, so, no, I've never – those are good yeah. ones. Definitely, definitely uh, take note of those. Um, do Where where do you normally – or where – you've mentioned therapy. Do you have any other sources of knowledge? I know you, you said you're in school, so that's – you're nursing. What do you do on like your free time or and stuff to to fill your brain up? I read a lot of books. Right, I only will read books of first um, hand experiences. You know, I've, I've kind of felt like addiction to before, especially since it's like in my genetics. Um, but I I would say by far reading reading books from people will make will help a lot. Like it won't necessarily give you give you coping techniques, but it will for sure help you understand that you you don't need to be hopeless do you have uh one one book that sparked uh something that helped you the most or you know what i'm saying do you have one book that kind of sticks out in your brain i'm gonna be really honest what's what's interesting um is the like na book and the aa books i would say that those provide a like really good like understanding of like how to cope with stuff like even if like you don't you aren't like struggling with addiction there's a lot in that in that book or those books about like um sorry i was playing harry styles there's a lot about that in in that book about like how if you feel like you like can't control yourself like then just just give it to somebody else like give it to the universe like say like well i don't have control over my life anymore like you can have it um and then like there was one part of it where it was like talking about like addiction and it was like we forgot how to feel and i think that's that's something that a lot of people with like depression really really struggle with and so that's probably my favorite book for that um on the other side really liked child called it one of the most depressing books i've ever read in my life but i've i think was that the uh that's the uh, one in, in elementary school. I think we were supposed to read it and I didn't, right? <laughs> I think should not read that A child called library. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah, child called it yeah. It had the kid on the cover. You yeah, yeah, yeah. No no no. It was a high I think it was going around in my high school. It was a big one. It was like uh, the giver. Do you have you read I've been asking everybody this, and I haven't read it myself, but it's another, it's the book Jordan Peterson recommends, Gulag Archipelago. I have not read that. No, yeah, so that's a, it's a World War II, I know Kevin's into history and your father is, so maybe you might be, (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's, it's it's about uh, the World War II, World War II and escaping the gulags and all that. But I was just curious as someone who reads a lot of books. But my uh, my my girlfriend just got into reading books. She has two right here on the floor, actually. Do you, 
for someone trying you said you you said you learned how to read in college <laughs> for someone trying to uh start reading or someone who doesn't read as much i'm one of them and i want to start reading i wish i could read do you have anything any tips and you said you had medication what medication if you're willing to share of course um so uh i i think when you the first thing you need to do is try reading and then identify the problem so for example when i was reading you know i could read the words but i could not tell you what it said mm -hmm. on the page like what the message was <laughs> right so if that's a problem then you know it's a comprehension problem and um it felt kind of like my brain was too was too full to me like input information if that's and then um, i started taking ritalin and then I cried the first time I took it because I went to class and I felt like I could learn again. Um, and then I could read a page in a book without having to read it 10 times and be able to um, see wow. like, no, it was crazy. But if you're also, if you're reading it and the words are like jumbling themselves up, then you might like have like a cognition problem or something like that. But if you are just like trying to read and like in our generation, like we, ha we need a lot of stimulation um white noise in the background i find helps a lot and if you can be somewhere pretty that also helps a lot okay and so um yeah. kevin 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 knows uh i i took um vibands for the first time uh recently and yeah um i that's how i mean our show is up in 14 days on all platforms and i think you can attest it to that be mm -hmm. Because Kevin Kevin stepped out of the way two days out of that two weeks and was like, dude, just to like get out of here pretty much and just go do your thing. And it was like I was just zoned in doing doing something I wanted to do, but would normally not have like you said, my brain is normally too full to be able to really understand what's going around me most of the time. <laughs> my brain like it's just going 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 and i'm thinking so if i'm reading something that's exactly what happens is i get distracted with whatever's going on in my brain but i do still have the auto i know how to read so i still have the autopilot and know how to subconsciously read and look through the words and mm. like not understand the words but i'm reading them <laughs> so it's that's what's frustrating yeah yeah so is that is it a adhd is i don't know what ritalin is can you go into that um, that's a common ADHD trait. There's, there's many, many other symptoms of ADHD. People can struggle with that without having it if that's like the only symptom. Um, there's also ADD. There's two types of ADHD. There's the hyperactivity where basically like you need so much stimulation that it's causing you distress. And then there's the distant type where you are just not in your body pretty much ever. Like you, you're like, you have your like person like held on by like a balloon or something. Um, as far as Ritalin goes, it is uh, in the same class of like drugs, like stimulants as Vyvanse. Um, okay. And uh, yeah, I, I, I like it a lot because I find it, it makes me sweat a lot less than like the amphetamine stimulants. And I sweat a lot already. <laughs> <laughs> Our family right there is with Okay, I didn't, yeah, I didn't know if you literally meant sweat because uh, for PT, sometimes in the Army, we got to go play basketball. And while that sounds like an absolute blast being in the military, yay, it's Friday, we get to go play basketball, Kevin would show up and 
not necessarily a wife <laughs> wife beater, something similar. And by the time we were done, I mean that wife beater would be dark gray, dark it would look like, gray. Oh, yeah, it would look like I jumped in the ocean. Yeah, well, it no. didn't help too. I went, I went hard <laughs> in the motherfucking paint. <laughs> no, but I'd be going like I remember one time I was going up for like a lamp or something, and I feel fucking Miguel or Boss at the time. I feel his fucking five o'clock shadow on the back of my arm, and he's like. <laughs> <laughs> No, everyone would get pissed at me because I literally wouldn't. It was like me and you were the only ones that really cared to play. So we got two good people going at each other. But I'm sorry, I'm not guarding Kevin. Anyone else can go play. I'd rather play a game where we're all just scoring 100 points than go and guard Kevin because this is just not worth it to me. Ain't nobody guarding me anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, little do they know, I didn't guard him because my ankles are broken. Yeah. No, so um, what are we at on time? A little over like an hour fifty. Yeah, we're at, a long yeah. time. We should probably. Yeah, yeah, we gotta. <laughs> Let me end it on one quick question. Yeah, and then we'll we'll cut it off. If you could give one piece of advice to someone that may hear this and is struggling, what would that advice be? Um, I don't my advice would be start simple. Right. So people think to get better, you you just have to start everything at once. What's important is to start super small. So if you are so depressed that you physically can't get out of bed, try putting some mouthwash by your bed and make it a goal to just use mouthwash every day. If you can't shower, make it a goal to like use wipes. Don't assume that in order to get better, you have to start with therapy or meds. You need to start with basically just getting out of the house and um stuff like that first so don't think that like you're you're stupid or lazy if you can't go straight from being really depressed to or whatever like delusional to like help like that sometimes you got to get little forms of help too so that's probably my biggest advice oh and finger foods chicken nuggets that's that's really good um, oh okay like no you guys really don't help but but don't <laughs> try not to judge your health if you're like barely surviving. You just need food. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm all about health, but you guys do not want to see my diet during my depression stage. <laughs> beer. No, no. I mean that that was a big part of it. But after the beer, I mean it was it was a mess. But uh, no, with that, Shannon, I I uh, really really enjoyed having you on. I didn't know what to expect. I asked Taylor. Kevin, before this, uh, what are we going to talk about? And he basically said mental health. I said, okay, just what, SSRIs or what? So that's all he kind of gave me. Um, to say I'm very pleased is an understatement. I very much enjoyed having you on. I I, <laughs> I very much enjoyed it. I appreciate it a lot. Um, I see a lot of similarities in us. <laughs> and I hope for sure to have you on in the future to see uh how you're doing and definitely where you're at in uh, your career too. Excited for that. Yeah. But, uh, Kevin in a couple weeks. <laughs> yeah, she'll, she'll be out here in a few weeks. So we could probably just do a show then. We'll yeah. Yeah. I could. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I should be able to head up there too. Maybe. Uh, yeah. We'll shoot around the dates later. I'll hit up Kevin yeah, about yeah, yeah. it. But, uh, well, awesome. So yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we'll uh, get you on later for sure. And with that, we'll uh, catch you later. Bye. <laughs> Bye.